In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCE and friend, Mal Robolino. Michael Dexter and Mark Eggers talk with Mal about her recently published article in the Journal of Emergency Nursing and how the article came to be published. Find out how she has taken QR code to a new level within the emergency department. This episode is called Educational Insight and Skills Refreshment Using a QR Code. Hello, and welcome to BCN and Friends Podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals, but most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Mark Eggers, Manager of Education Technology Services at BCN, and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael. Hey, Mark. Good to be with you again. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Mal Robolino as our friend. Michael, would you please tell us about our BCN and friend, Mal? Yeah, I would be happy to actually know Mal from some of the work she's done alongside BCEN. She created a course for us on BCEN Learn uh, about abdominal trauma. So anybody that's taken the abdominal trauma course, Mal was the big brain behind that. So it's great to meet her there. She is from Long Island, New York, attended Quinnipiac University for nursing. She's uh, initially was a med surge nurse and then switched to the ER after about a year. And she's been there ever since. She's currently finishing her MBA in healthcare administration from St. Joseph's College and recently began an acute care nurse practitioner program at Hofstra University. She has her CEN and TCRN certifications. She's also an AHA, BLS, ACLS, and PALS instructor and is a certified sexual assault forensic nurse examiner in New York. She loves leveraging technology to promote staff education and feels that information should be easily accessible and straight to the point. Mal was recently published in the Journal of Emergency Nursing for her article, Intervention Development, Quick Response Code Implementation for Point of Care Training Needs in the Emergency Department. And even though that sounds like a mouthful, it's actually a very neat and simple idea that she's come up with uh, along with some of her coworkers to use QR code technology to provide educational insight and skills refreshment for high acuity yet low volume therapies while working in the ED. Outside of work, she enjoys weightlifting, running, photography, and cuddling with her dog, Tonka. So Mal, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. It's quite an intro. I like it. <laughs> that is an intro. I hope you said all good things about you. So yeah. yeah, a little bit more. Just tell us a little bit more about yourself, your career, and what you're up to these days. Sure. So uh, like you had said, I started out on a med surge floor like many do after graduation. Um, found that it wasn't exactly you know, a great fit for me. I like the... Um, constantly changing dynamic of the emergency department. I think it keeps me sharper, keeps me on my toes and certainly makes the day go by faster. So I was lucky enough to transition into the ER about a year later. And I've kind of been in emergency medicine ever since. Um, like you had said, I got my uh, certification for forensic examiner. Um, so now when we get sexual assault in the ER, I get to perform those, represent those patients in court as an expert witness should the time come for that. And that's been a super rewarding little twist on my uh, emergency room experience, but I spent brief time as the educator before I cut back to my staff nurse role in order to go back to nurse practitioner school. So that's when I had done the QR code implementation and got published for that. So now we're here. 
Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, so I know not a lot of people get published, and when it comes to actually becoming published, there's a lot of background stuff that goes on. So people don't understand that there's really a big process to becoming published. There's a lot of back and forth emails and different things to make sure that the content is correct and that it's published correctly. So can you just tell us a little bit more about your journey to becoming published um, in the Journal of Emergency Nursing? Sure. I think that's actually a really fair point. Um, I certainly didn't realize the the work you know, behind it, because I think I, I must have done seven or eight revisions, I think, before it was finally accepted. So that was starting to get a little disheartening. Um, but I was fortunate enough that when I implemented this intervention, being the QR code technology, I was still working in the education role. So my coworkers in the department and my boss had guided me to kind of collect data before doing it, just in case I did want to get published. And it wasn't really on my mind at the time. So I took that data, which was the best thing I could have done, because in hindsight, wouldn't have gotten this intervention published. And um, I kind of let it sit for a bit. And we had a recertification come up at the hospital for our trauma certification. So when the Academy of Surgeons or what have you was coming, they, they showed off this technology because a lot of it was on our trauma equipment. Um, and our CNO had came up to me and said, why isn't it published yet? And I thought, to me, it's a QR code and everybody uses them. So I didn't realize it was really publishable until I started looking online and realizing that it hadn't really been used in that context. Um, and to, you know, to me, it's a simple technology, but I recognize to others, it, it seems a lot more complex, but it's not. So um, after that, I, I sent it to a couple of journals um, and just figured, let me just see if anyone's interested. And I heard back from all of them. Um, I ended up going with the Journal for Emergency Nursing, just because again, that's kind of my home and that's the journal that I read. Um, and we went from there. And like you had said, it went through seven or eight revisions. It went back and forth. They were amazing through the process. They teamed me up with one of the editors that was sort of a mentor through it, knowing that it was my first publication. Um, they were very encouraging, even when requesting the revisions, because I can understand that some people probably get very discouraged doing that. Um, and it, it was so helpful. They really made helped me bring out a much more polished journal than I originally submitted to them. So it was a really, really good, like symbiotic process. And I'm so happy that it was published. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So we've talked about the process, but just briefly, do you mind telling the listeners what the actual study was about or what the really the technology is that you're using there? Sure. So uh, one of the things we had noted when I became the educator was that, you know, and I'm sure this is a problem in a lot of facilities, our night, our night staff was all pretty much new nurses. And, you know, we're pushing a lot of in-person learning, a lot of iLearns on the computer. And I'm personally someone who loves technology. I hate iLearns. I don't think they're that effective. I don't think they're that fun to sit through. To me, and I think to a lot of people in my generation of nursing, I prefer a quick, like, you know, two to three minute snippet where it shows me exactly what I'm doing and I can move on from there because, you're taught all these things in orientation. You have to be competency on them, but you're not going to, you may not see them again for two years, you know, at a, at a level three trauma center, you may not get a gunshot wound for another year after that. So um, really important to keep their skills up, but not really require so much in-person education, in my opinion, especially on this like population of nurses that's working night shift as it is. So what we did was we recorded two to three minute video clips on various pieces of equipment. Um, like you had said, they're high acute, they're high acuity, but low use. Um, so that was like the rapid infuser for us. It was external ventricular drain setup, um, even A-lines. In our ER prior to COVID, we weren't really holding patients with A-lines. They were going up to the ICU. So um, during COVID, that video became very helpful. Um, so we recorded two to three minute videos. We used our own equipment in the department. To me, that's the most helpful rather than using like a vendor video where it may not be the exact same model or, you know, they have their own motives of what they're teaching you. And we uploaded them to YouTube and connected them to a QR code. So 
at first, I put the QR codes in a binder. This way, if you had a patient coming in, you wanted to set up the rapid infuser, and maybe the education department wasn't on at that time, it was two in the morning, three in the morning, you can go scan the code, watch the video of me setting it up, showing you how, and go run it. We had a couple of requests to put it on the equipment itself. So after that, we laminated it and affixed it to the equipment itself. So now if you go through our trauma room and you open up you know, the chest tube drawer, there's a video there on how to set it up. Or if you grab the rapid infuser, there's a video, the fluid warmer, et cetera. Um, and again, we kept them very short, very digestible. The purpose being that, you know, a patient's coming in and you can start watching this video, set it up, help yourself. Or if you're bored and you have a lull and you want to watch it, you can as well. But my goal was to make it a real kind of point of care down and dirty. This is how you do it because it is ultimately a refresher. Yeah, that's great. So once you started, did you have requests for like QR codes on every single piece of equipment in the entire department? <laughs> or did, yeah. did you have to say like, no, we're only doing it on certain things? Or how did you decide what to put your time and effort into? Yeah, so we did learning needs assessments that we do every year. Um, so I started as, with that as a springboard, you know, what people request most commonly. Um, and like like I had said earlier, it was the rapid infuser, A-lines, things like that, chest tubes, um, most commonly requested. So I did those. And then to your point, yeah, people kind of want them for everything after that, um, which put a little, you know, had to put your foot down on some things because it really should be isolated to the things that you're not seeing every day um, because that's totally understandable to not really remember exactly how to set it up in the moment. Um, so we did kind of limit it to just the, the high acuity, low use technologies. Yeah, well, that's awesome. It, it really is a great, great way to have that learning accessible and, and right there. And like you said, at two o'clock in the morning, when somebody needs the information, it's a really cool idea to just put it right there on the equipment. So, so you can right. set it up while you're still watching the video, even if you yeah. want. So. Yeah. You know, for people to voluntarily learn about something, it needs to be pretty easy for them to get, you know, I like efficiency. Yeah. So yeah. So you're moving forward with an MBA, you're moving forward with a nurse practitioner program to become mm -hmm. a nurse practitioner. Um, but now you're published as a person that uses technology in the ER. So, you know, with some of your future advances in your own personal profession, as well as some of the things you've witnessed using technology, um, how do you see technology changing in the next five years or so? Do you have any ideas of, of ways that we can continue to use technology in these different roles? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I hear promoted, and I'm sure on every floor when you're discharging a patient, but in the ER, we're discharging patients constantly. Um, you know, you're always encouraging the nurse to do more education, to give them more information about side effects for medications, things like that. I think it would be amazing if we start leveraging QR codes for that as well. Um, I originally looked at the QR code thing with a little bit of hesitancy because I figured, you know, someone like me, I always use them. It'd be super easy, but I, I have friends my own age and older, younger that are like, you know, it's not for me. I'm not into technology. But once COVID happened, I kind of looked around and I was like, I've had it. You all use this to read menus. So you're clearly are capable of it. And I think once you do it, you'll find that it's easy. So everybody really can do it. Pretty much everybody does have the capacity to do it. So I think maybe like discharge instructions, you know, when you print your, your discharges, it should automatically populate whatever medication they prescribed, a quick little video on what side effects to look out for. It'll be easier for patients instead of losing those sheets, maybe patients that are, you know, can't really see as well, they can listen to it. So I think that would be a cool way to leverage some technology as far as uh, patient care when they leave the department. And then I've also sort of thought about things. I know that they're starting to roll out at least in my health system, you know, you can look online and see wait times for different ERs. And I think what's interesting is if we have that capability and we're using telehealth so much as it is, and a lot of patients are coming in at the referral of telehealth, you know, they're trying to see a doctor, they pull it up online and they recommend they go to an ER. It could be really cool to use a software that leverages all of that technology and that aggregate data to say, okay, 
we're worried about, you know, X, Y, and Z for this patient. So they really should be going to this hospital specifically because A, maybe their acuity is higher and we know that their closest hospital or, you know, when you live in a metropolitan area, you have a whole bunch. By me, there's like a good eight right now. Um, so if, if, you know, they might usually go to hospital X, we might recommend they go to Y because maybe they have a cath lab and we're concerned for that. So you might as well go to the place that has a straight service as long as it's not too far out of the way, of course. So I think it might be cool to use that as a pathway to kind of guide patients where to go, refer them to different ERs. Um, and if, you know, if you know one ER is overrun with an MVA and you have a trauma coming in or you can see their census and you have a patient that has an orthopedic injury. Also, you can send them to one that's, you know, separate from that. This way the, the systems are balanced. So I think that might be a neat way to leverage that. Yeah, I think that's a really cool idea because from a patient standpoint, you're, if you're driving down the road with a major injury, heart attack, stroke, you know, if you're, if you're driving a family member, you're just looking for a sign that says emergency. You right. have no idea what the difference is between, right. <laughs> between hospitals or between yeah. facilities, services offered and all that. So yeah, yeah. using that technology to, to then integrate patient-centered uh, care plans for them even before they get to the ER, that's a really cool idea. So right. Right. And of course, you know, I don't think that would work in more rural areas. And, you know, there's limitations. There's certain ailments. You just need to be in the door of a hospital, no matter what it is and what services they offer soon. But right. um, I do think for most ailments, giving the patients that information so they can make their own educated decision. You know, one might be five minutes further, but it might have an orthopedic team on call where this one doesn't. So I think, you know, giving patients more autonomy is really very helpful in the outcomes of their care, in my opinion. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Definitely. So for you personally, we understand that lifelong learning is critical and you have to have it for these multiple degrees that you're pursuing and for your certifications that you hold and those things. So how do you keep up with your lifelong learning needs and what are some ways that you feel that you really benefit from continuing education? I think lately I've been really into podcasts. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, and for me, that's like a springboard because I'll hear something and then I'll want to look it up later and that's been helpful to me. And that's just for kind of my own side learning. Um, as you'd pointed out, I'm still in a lot of programs. So I think my internal motivation for that is just that I've never stopped. So <laughs> it's, you know, I, I don't really know what it's like not being in school. I've been going straight through. And if I wasn't in a program, I was studying for my CEN, my TCRN. Um, so keeping those up, my motivation is to continue to get CEs and, you know, continue my certification so that when the time comes, I don't have to take the exam again and I can just <laughs> recertify. Um, and I think that the ER medicine in general, but, you know, with my familiarity in the ER, it's just so cool that things change so constantly. So there really is never a limitation on what you can learn and be seeking out. So the modalities in which I learn, usually podcasts, YouTube videos, I find that that's the most helpful. Um, and I think it's just really neat, you know, how many sources of information we have now. It's no longer like ripping open a textbook and trying to find something. I can listen to an expert talk about it. And then listen to another and then pick, you know, <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Technology is, is everywhere and it's allowing us to get education in so many different forms. So yeah, neat. Thank you. Mark, you have anything you want to ask Mel? Uh, I do. Yeah. Mel, you know, you talk for a moment here about QR codes that the nice thing about that too, if a person has a phone, it's easy right. enough for him to get it. And no. nowadays, at least in metropolitan areas and even in rural areas, I mean, so many people have phones. So you're right, no matter what age, no matter who it is. So I think that's great. Kudos to you as far as the QR Thank code. You. So yeah. tell us about a person or moment in your career that greatly impacted you. I always ask this question and uh, 
they're always great answers. Never had not a great answer, not to put any pressure on you, but uh, oh, yeah, no per pressure at all. Yeah, it's totally a fine. Personal <laughs> moment in your career that's greatly impacted you. So I have I have uh, various patients that have always impacted me, and I've tried to keep up with this throughout my career so far. Um, I have a you know little notepad next to my bed that sometimes after a shift, if I just want to remember a patient, I'll try to write it down. Um, I had one that early on, I was like an early early days of being an ER nurse on the night shift. I couldn't even tell you why the patient was there. I don't remember, but he was absolutely lovely. And he was telling me his life story um, about all the, like the wars that he had been in and just like the crazy stories. And now he's caring for his adult son. The guy was 90 something years old, sharp as attack. And I remember writing his story down and it was, it on paper seems so straightforward, just a very interesting person. But as a nurse and as a young nurse, it was so nice to have that conversation and that like rapport with the patient and, remind yourself in, you know, the heavy depths of an ER where you've got, you know, nine, 10 patients that these are all people with such crazy stories. You know, every person you meet came from something and has done amazing things with their life. So from him, it taught me that when I'm trying to build a rapport with a patient, a lot of times I like to ask what they do for a living or did for a living. And the answers have consistently surprised me and amazed me. And people as a whole are very impressive. And that's part of what I love about working in the ER is just talking to different patients of different backgrounds. So that patient, I remember, kind of sparked that interest in me. And um, it really, I think, has made my relationships with patients very much improved and given them a chance to kind of, you know, talk about themselves. And, and people love sharing their life stories, you know, especially when they're in an ER, kind of stripped of their own identity, put in a gown and now they can't even have family members with them. So that was very important to me, I think, in the early days of becoming a nurse. Um, other than that, I think at work, I have, I have two nurses that I work with, Tammy and Jeanette, that I met in my early days and they scared the crap out of me. <laughs> they were like the, you know, the textbook ER nurse. They're just so good. And I, you know, even the doctors are asking the questions. And I remember looking at them and being like, okay, that's the bar. And like, that's, you know, what I got to work to. And they have consistently since then been such incredible mentors to me. And, you know, they both graduated as NPs from the same program I'm in now. So I'm sort of like the annoying little sister that's trailing along, but I am doing it um, because it, they were able to have such a good balance of like being formidable and absolutely tough, but also just absolutely lovely and willing to help younger nurses um, while keeping that bar high. You know, they've, they've always kept me on my toes and encouraged me to be better. So I really do try to seek out opportunities to be that for somebody else because uh, they really, you know, people like that can make or break your, your experience coming into such a scary department and meeting them was really career changing for me. I think, you know, watching them continue to strive for new accomplishments and achievements. Um, they keep me on my toes. So, <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Now we're going to go into our rapid fire questions. Oh boy. So, what would you be doing if you were not in your current role? Say you weren't a nurse. What else okay. would you be doing? Other things that you would be doing? Dolphin trainer. A dolphin trainer? Yeah. That's kind of fishy, <laughs> but I'll go with that one. Okay. I like that fun. Yeah. I, like I don't know. One. That's like my, my knee-jerk reaction to that, and I don't know why. I've never even swam with dolphins, but <laughs> it seems fun. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's great. So I have three categories regarding your favorites. Okay. And uh, what is your favorite book? So this one's, I, I'm so bad at favorites because I have so many different ones, I feel like. But if I if I had to pick, I would say anything by Atul Gawande. He wrote Complications and Better and The Checklist Manifesto. Emperor of Maladies, I'm not sure if you've read that one, is tremendous. It's like the, the whole um, history of cancer, basically, but from 
the early, it's an amazing book. Um, and there, I mean, well, these books are medical books. So I'm trying to give you a better answer. That's like a fun book. <laughs> no, really as long as it's your favorite book, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, those are my two favorites, I would say. Good, that's great. How about movie? Nightmare Before Christmas. That's a good one. Yeah. And how about a favorite song? This one also changes a lot. I think probably like classic all-time Bohemian Rhapsody is like a safe safe one. Never get tired of that. <laughs> that's good. And here's a new question we put this year for 2022. So uh, comfort food. Everybody, when you say comfort food, smiles and thinks about something. So what's your comfort food or meal that you enjoy? Frozen blueberry egos. <laughs> oh, let go of my ego. Okay. Yep. So good. <laughs> <laughs> well, with all you're doing and all that's going on, do you have any other hobbies or interests? Sure. Yeah. So, um, like we had said a little bit in the intro, um, I do uh, weightlift. I run. I'm start, I'm running my first half marathon in March. Um, I like to do art. Um, I guess if I wasn't going to be a nurse, but I was still going to be something realistic, I would do um probably some sort of like medical art um like anatomy textbooks and whatnot i really do for christmas every year i usually make somebody in you know in the field some sort of fun drawing i have watercolors up right now of like the heart the lungs gi some anatomical hands i've painted so i like doing that um photography that helped me during college that was like a little side hustle for me so now i do it more for fun but i do enjoy photography quite a bit Great. And, and you said your dog, Tonka. What kind of dog? Tell me a little bit about your dog. Yeah, she's a lamb pit. She's sleeping right now. She's so lazy. Um, I got her during COVID. So I, I jumped on the bandwagon of everybody else in the country and was like, yeah, I'm getting a dog right now. Um, so got her and they told me she was a boy. She came up from North Carolina on a truck and I went to pick her up. She was like organized, you know, one of the shelters up here had organized it. Um, turns out she's a girl, but she already knew the name. So she remained Tonk <laughs> and, um, she's awesome. She's so much fun. Very cool. Very cool. And Mal, if we want to reach you on any social networks, uh, I understand you're on LinkedIn. I am. Yes. And also Instagram. I am. I have a photography page for someone who's promoting technology and healthcare. I don't really use it so much for social media, um, but I do have an Instagram for my photography. So every now and again, I, I throw some fun stuff on there. And that's that's M. Taylor Art is my photography. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I want to take this time to thank you, Mal, for joining us today and for this episode of BCN and Friends. And thank you for sharing your time and your stories. It was great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. And to all of our listeners, we hope you stay tuned as we continue on with BCN and Friends and bringing new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcen at bcn.org. I'm Mark Agris here with Michael Dexter, and on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you are doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, 